All right, let's rock and roll. Welcome to another episode of the Tosses Podcast, the third best podcast in Victoria as rated by my mother. Uh, very privileged this week. We've got a guest on, uh, Tom McDonald, key forward, 200-gamer premiership player from Melbourne. Welcome, Tom. Thanks, boys. Good to be here. <laughs> I thought I'd have to preface this. I had to say that you're a Melbourne footballer because I believe that there is another famous Tom McDonald who's actually a Canadian rapper who you occasionally <laughs> get, get confused for. Every day. Is it Tom McDonald? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think oh, these people must be just idiots, but every day on Instagram I'd have five plus direct messages about, like, come and collaborate with me, bro, on my new rap song. <laughs> this dude's got... Long dreads, face tats. He's white, like yeah. same sort of complexion and like blondish hair. But like people with the blue tick who would think would be their semi-famous rappers will be messaging me saying, let's collaborate. And I'm like, does my photos of my family and kids and football career not, <laughs> not give it a tick away that I'm not the rapper with the face tats? But yeah, I get... Yeah, it is, I mean, a Canadian rapper... Name Tom McDonald. It's a terrible name for a rapper. (laughs) It's so bad. But then it is so Canadian as well. Like to think that that is Canadian would be a Tom McDonald. Like they're so nice. They can't even pick bad rap names. But he sings like real heavy shit as well. Like it's, you know, everyone always messaged me saying, thanks, bro, for bringing light to the freedom uh, movement and all this sort of stuff. I'm like, damn. I think you got the wrong guy. Do you ever like bait them a little bit? I've done it a couple of times. Yeah. Once or twice. And then one guy said, uh, you know, can you come and see the um, the servicemen in Louisiana? And I said, yeah, when and where I'll be there. And then he replied back and then he looked again. He goes, oh, man, sorry, wrong time and <laughs> didn't have to do it. But in the end, a lot of them are just bots, I reckon, as well. But there's yeah. just so many messages. I laugh at them and the funny ones. But, yeah, don't really. Are you musically inclined at all? No. Can no. you rap? I would <laughs> be the tried? least artistic, music sort of person of any kind you would ever meet. I'm so bad. Yeah, right. Yeah, hate it. What about your brother? Was he musical? Growing up, or both of you were just nah, useless? Useless. Our whole family. It's <laughs> sport. Sport and academics was the only things we were good at. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Sounds like me without the sports and without the <laughs> academics, though. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> good combo. This oh. is it. Just talking about yourself is probably... You've, I mean, you've got a podcast named Tosses After You, so yeah. this is perfect. I mean, you found your calling, I guess. Oh. I, must, I must also say, for the first, like, the inaugural guest... You're then one of the nicest blokes in footy. You're not a you're not a tosser at all for the no. tossers podcast. I can be actually. When the first year boys come in, they always say after a year or so, like, I didn't want to talk to you when you got here. Like, you were so intimidating. Like, you're so scary. I'm like, what did I do? And they're like, I don't know. You just sort of didn't <laughs> give us much to start with. And I don't really give the first years much. Like, I always say hi and introduce yep. myself. But just found I'm so busy with my own life that I probably don't reach out as much. But I keep th- they think I'm intimidating, and I'm well, <laughs> I'm probably the least intimidating guy there. When I was doing my research, one of you you said your favourite nickname was Gancy, was it? Yes, Gancy. Yeah. And how did how did that come around? So first year, probably again from being a bit quiet and reserved and um, not saying much. But I was I don't know why I was confident in myself because I was a shit junior <laughs> footballer. I only got drafted because <laughs> I had a good draft combine, you know, three k time trial and stuff like that. Um, but the boys thought uh, it started off as Arrow, yeah. And then if you put Arrow and Gantz together, you get Arrogance. Yeah, there you go. So and, that, uh, that's the tosses. <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> uh, so then Gantz stuck for a while, but I only ever get that when I bump into Lyndon Dunn, James Frawley, Geordie uh, McKenzie, real old yep, uh, yep, older guys. I played with. Yeah I've, yeah, I've shed that one. Now I've got five other nicknames. Usually Lynx now. Links? links, yeah, as in the animal, the links. Yeah, not the deodorant. <laughs> <laughs> or is, is the deodorant after links? 
don't know. Probably Links, is. Links Africa? That makes sense. Is it, that, that would yeah, make sense. From it. Yeah. Think, yeah. But it start, we all had to pick an animal as our – kind of like a spirit animal, what we wanted to play footy like. So everyone want, had to pick like an apex predator and I chose the Eurasian lynx because that was the top of the food <laughs> chain there and that stuck. There was only two nicknames out of that whole year that stuck and the other one was Mitch Hannon chose the cassowary. You know, the yeah, the, yeah. It doesn't, well, it doesn't roll off the tongue as well <laughs> either. Well, every time we fly, blokes would just yell, Cassa! It's like Capra. It sort of rolled off the tongue when you're out oh. there in the field. But um, yeah, I've always had heaps of nicknames. So, so I think I'll touch on before, you said you are quite a good runner. Now, didn't you used to do a bit of running back on the farm? I think someone was telling me you, some fence pole or something. You and your brother would. Yeah, just Oscar might have told you. Yeah. Um, so from our, I used to because I didn't have a like a um, digital watch or anything to measure time. So I'd get on the oven kitchen timer, I'd turn the knob to um, twelve minutes or whatever I wanted to run, and then to run out the front door, up the five hundred meter driveway, and then a kilometer up the road, you went to the local tennis club, which was like a. It's literally in the middle of the bush. You, there's nothing else get to the gate of the tennis club and run back and I checked the timer and I was trying to get it under 12 minutes for three k's with a few turns in there um, and I would do that like every, five nights a week leading up to the draft and then when I was in Ballarat I'd run the Ballarat Lake every yeah. day to, to like Windery yeah so because um, I wasn't to be honest I wasn't a very good junior footballer like I played really well at school footy but I was shocking at TSC Cup I hated it but the thing that was sort of keeping me involved and keeping me a chance to be drafted was I was six foot four six foot five and I had a really high beat test and a good 3k time trial which afl scouts like that sort of shit yeah and um so i was like well if i'm gonna get drafted i have to have a really good score on the testing day and that's why i started doing that run (laughs) did mum ever come back into the house and go why is it so hot it's you know 250 (laughs) degrees on a 40 degree day (laughs) there's no food and the buzzer's going off well that's the thing maybe you put it on and that's like the extra level of of danger you need to up your time you put it on oven open let the gas just burn (laughs) (laughs) put a pep in your step (laughs) all have carbon dioxide (laughs) (laughs) gotta get back to save the family (laughs) so with tack cup you ended up playing you ballarat weren't you because you originally from eden hope yep god's country but you (laughs) went to the footy factory st pat's for year 12 yep so So you just there for one year yeah so through year 10 and then year 11 was sort of the main year where it got hard so I would Eden Hope's about 300 k's from Ballarat. So on a Thursday, I'd get picked up. Mum or Dad would pick me up at school at lunchtime. They'd take me to Horsham. And then there's a few Horsham boys playing in the TSA Cup team in Ballarat. So we'd have a bus that would take us from Horsham to Ballarat. That'd be two and a bit hours. So it was three and a half for me total. Training on a Thursday night, get back on that bus. Mum would pick me back up from Horsham at about midnight and I'd get home. And then I'd go to school on the Friday and then go back to Melbourne, usually on the Saturday, on the Saturday morning to play a TSC Cup game on the Saturday. So I did about 50,000 Ks that year in the car just for footy. <laughs> and it just was ridiculous. Like you can't, Unless you were an absolute number one draft pick, you couldn't really do it properly. You couldn't do school properly. You couldn't train properly if that's what you're doing every week. So that's why I went I was going to say, mum probably wouldn't have done it this year with petrol prices. <laughs> <laughs> it probably wouldn't have got drafted. Oh, I'd hate to know how much money it would have cost on petrol, yeah. Uh, so how did you find boarding school just going there for one year do work we did you want to go there at all or was uh, it pretty nervous when i first started um but loved it once i got into it it was 60 boys we'd have like team like uh, not team dinner but school dinner every night which was awesome food loved the food we had there and then you'd have study for an hour and a half or two hours which was actually good because i wanted to do reasonably well at school yeah. and you had tutors there who would help you and the boys who didn't it wasn't St. Pat's isn't so strict that um, you're in trouble if you don't study as long as you weren't causing anyone else's yeah, problems. Yeah. Like 
some boys would muck around a bit. But I wanted to do Reesby well, so I'd have study, and then you'd have two hours where the gym would be open, basketball stadium would be open, uh, boys would be kicking the footy in the sports hall, and it was just like little kids' dream having sixty blokes who all love yeah. sport kicking the footy every night. You'd like it's a bunch. Of, it's like you're all brothers. You're on school camp every yeah, night. Yeah, school much. camp so, every night. Yeah, so I loved it and helped my footy. Got to play basketball there as well for the school and. It was the reason why I got drafted in the end. Did you find that better prepared you for moving to the big smoke? and Probably. Living there, you know, actually being on your own, not necessarily with your parents. Yeah. I d- and I think even just, like, little things, like I could learn to drive in Ballarat instead of driving out in the country and then get to <laughs> Melbourne and I wasn't so scared about driving in the yeah, city. Yeah, yeah. So I went and lived with a host family when I got drafted. Like, we got drafted a week or two after the school year finished and then they, you come straight up, they take you to host family, you start living with them for a year, they're... You know, only 10 minutes away from here in Camberwell. And, um, you know, they were... I had a really good host family. Some guys, they get babied too much. And then some guys, they go to a family where their parents are barely home at all as well. So I had a good one who taught me how to... They had to cook one night a week. They'd say, what do you want to cook? You go and get all the... We'll get all the food prep and all the recipe for you. You just choose what it is and then you'll cook it all. Um, taught me how to do washing, cleaning, all that sort of stuff, which I've done a little bit of boarding school, yeah, but not yeah. much. Um, but really helpful before I'd go and move out the next year. Because it'd probably be very daunting for especially not just country blokes, but interstate blokes and people from remote mm. areas moving to a big city. I mean, we're both massive Brisbane Lions fans. Sorry about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. but, <laughs> I mean, we had for years players leaving due to homesickness. Yeah. And I think they ended up just started what? recruiting country boys. Well, that's <laughs> the thing. A yeah. lot of them were from Ballarat. In the end, human cluggage and... Well, they got those they, boys who were good mates, weren't they? Yeah. But I think the homesickness happens everywhere, other than maybe if you're a Melbourne kid getting drafted to Melbourne. But I, as much as I, like there is some homesickness element to it, I reckon it's just the environment you're in isn't that ideal as well. So those boys are probably... When boys were leaving... Prisoner down the bottom, weren't they? Yeah, much yeah. Like, well, I mean, you would have it. You, <laughs> it's, it's, you were down the bottom at the same. Yeah. You probably had the same experience. Like you have guys who leave. Like we had a guy leave last year. Luke Jackson left a premiership yeah, team true. because he wanted to go home. So it happens regardless. But I think the worse the teams go, the more likely they are people yeah, want to leave yeah. the situation. It's, it's, go a, back it's to a good excuse. Yeah, it is, and it's and it's sometimes it could be said to be homesickness when really it's he's been offered an extra hundred grand a year to say, go home. So, yeah, <laughs> it's you, a bit of money. You look at other like sporting leagues, like say the English Premier League, and you have got West Africans who can't even speak the language. Who just <laughs> well, yeah, but they're, they're making a bit more money as well. I think over there than they would be in the village in Africa. Tops. Yeah. I think they'd be happy to leave the house. It's they get running water and a toilet. <laughs> probably an upgrade. Yeah, definitely an but upgrade. The NFL as well. I mean, blokes would get traded about fifteen times in the one period it's Just funny i reckon nfl they almost want to get away from their colleges and get away from hometown and the distractions and because the money's so extreme mm. you don't want hanging up like people yeah hanging they have, on the big, they have these big, big entourages of people that have got to pay yeah and they always buy their family or their auntie and uncle something and yeah whereas it's, it's just not like that in footy there's you know people would help their families out here and there but the money's not enough to be retiring off a three or four year career and yeah. that sort of thing like well this is Bit of a topical thing at the moment. So there's a lot of talk about adding a team in Tasmania. How, I know they've got a lot of people who love football there. If you talk about homesickness and you know attracting key talent, like could you ever see a club being in Tasmania and then getting someone like Buddy Franklin as a free agent? Like, you know, is he going to move to? Well, is he is he from Tassie? No, no. Oh. What I'm saying is like those big name say. big name yeah, players. Yeah, yeah. You're going to get someone like moving to Launceston on a like. 10-year contract. You reckon Jack Rewalt will stick around for another five <laughs> years just to head up the team? I'm trying to hang around with them. I'm going to get another year or two. 
year playing, play one or two games. <laughs> Twilight of the in, career. Yeah, slide into a coaching gig there. Who did it? Bokey did that for the um, Gold Coast back in the day. He went up uh, there, didn't he? Played um, one year when he started. Luke Power did it at yeah, GWS for a bit. James McDonald, yep. Uh, look, I I think you'd be surprised. A bit like how Geelong sort of has the lifestyle, low cost of living. Yeah. 10 minutes of drive to training from Torquay. Now, it might not be as appealing as Geelong, but I would – you'd just have to recruit the right guys. You'd probably have to recruit senior guys who've got families probably, and you couldn't get blokes who wanted to live in the city who are in the middle of, you know, being a single 23-year-old. Probably yeah. not the lifestyle you're looking for, but – if you want a few blokes to get it started, go for the 27, 28-year-old fathers, that sort of thing, who probably want to you know, buy a cheap house, live in a massive pad compared to the two-bedroom townhouse yeah. they got in Melbourne for double the rent. Like, I feel like there's an appeal there for the right people and it's a footy state. So people, it's, it's a bit different to playing, going to Gold Coast before it ever started when there's no history there. There's a bit yeah. of footy history down in Tassie as well. well. So I reckon it's not the biggest stretch. I was going to liken it to uh, Green Bay, the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. They're like a small, if you know the NFL, they're a small team, but the massive supporters, like actually a large team, but they've only got this little state of Wisconsin, yeah. which don't have anywhere near the amount of fans that the rest of the states have. But they pack it out every game, 90,000 people there. Yeah. And I think Tasmania could be like that. Yeah, eventually. Look, you're not going to have... If you won't get that small, many. You had a 25,000-seat yeah. stadium, and if they made it a dome, which I don't know where the money comes from for this sort of thing, because yeah. that's hundreds of millions of dollars, but if you had a dome stadium there like Marvel and you're not in the horrendous wind and weather every weekend, it wouldn't be so bad. Mm-hmm. That's, so. I think that's, that's the argument they're making with a lot of stadiums now that are getting built. Why would you not have a roof on them? Yeah. Why are we still subject, subjecting ourselves to the elements? Yeah. No, but again, it's a lot of money that taxpayers probably don't <laughs> yeah, want to stump yeah. up. There's <laughs> something about watching the games in the natural light, though. I do like it. Everyone likes watching it in natural light, and now it is. But Tassie, Tassie's just so cold. Like we played some games there in the middle of July, and it's so always windy. Or at Hobart at Blundstone, it's always windy, and just it becomes the footy just becomes that like local footy when it's stuck in one pocket. Like it just doesn't, yeah. you know, it doesn't get out of the back line. And it's like always kick. You can yeah. throw a blanket over every yeah. single player. Yeah. <laughs> so if you if you can solve that, it doesn't have to be a dome, but even like. That Blundstone Arena, if that was all filled in, you wouldn't have the wind tunnel that comes yeah. in from that corner. So, might yeah. be hitting the nerve, but I say the same thing about Ballarat. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's, so that's where I was going to go as well. It has got the worst weather climate in the country. And by the footy oval's built on the top of a hill, right in the middle of the wind tunnel as well. Yeah, that Ballarat was cold, real cold. That's the only place where you train in trackies and a hoodie, and you'd still be cold at the end of footy training on a Thursday night. I reckon my old man played one game of school footy there, and. He's just never gotten over it. Like about <laughs> he 50, still talks about it. 50, he will not go to Ballarat. Like, just, there's no hope. Yeah, my uncle lives there, and I don't know why he lives there. It is so cold and windy. It's good all in the summer. Time. In summer, it's nice because you don't get the forty degree days. But yeah, no, it's pretty brutal for footy in winter. Did I, you play down in Eden Hope? Is that cold down there as well? No, nah, it's more similar to Melbourne, a bit more temperament, I guess. Would Gee, you say? Are yeah. you closer to Adelaide or are you closer to Melbourne? I think technically close to Melbourne, but it's, yeah, four and a half hours each way. Yeah. Right, yeah. we're like 30, 40 k's in from the SA border Yeah, on the Victorian side. Yeah. And probably getting the more serious stuff, but the, the, the pre-season, with the off-season, do you like to spend a bit of time back home or have you been purely based in Melbourne? Yeah, or? most off-seasons I go home for a week, maybe two, and then usually Christmas will be there or maybe over in Mount Gambia. Um, but rarely during the season because it's not an easy it's not you just go back for one night drive five hours get in the car <laughs> not worth day. it yeah. it's not really worth it and a lot of my schoolmates and friends are 
you know, in Melbourne, Geelong, Ballarat anyway now. So, you know, I'd love to go back for maybe in the bye week if I can watch a local footy game, something like that. But, yeah, it's pretty rare now. There's not and there's not a heap of – there's not much stuff to train with, so it's hard to train there. There's no gym. The footy over's not in great nick, <laughs> um, which, fun, like, it becomes important in the off-season. When you go somewhere, you've got to be able to have access to a gym and running track, which is – Stupid, but it's just the way it is now. Like you can't do your program the off-season the way you probably could do it 15 years ago where you could just go for a run around the lake or something like that. Yeah. So did you do Christmas Day where you still having to train and stuff? You weren't like yeah. the Brayshaw brothers no, going absolutely crazy. Of the, yeah, because <laughs> of the fucking Brayshaws. So now... <laughs> so ruined it for everyone. Ruined it for everyone. So every AFL player thinks they're a fucking hero and wants to do 100 hundreds. But now our fitness bloke made this different version of it. So there were 60 hundreds in there, then two one Kers, and then another set of like... 10 by 100s on a 30-second cycle. So you'd run it in 20, have 10 seconds to run back. So it ended up being a 12K session on Christmas Day, <laughs> thanks to the Brayshaws. Do they, do they actually track your running or is it like an honesty system? No, nah, they can't <laughs> track. So, it's, so the players associate it used to be able to when I first started. They'd give blokes GPSs, so you'd be over in France or whatever, and they'd be checking if you've done every rep the same because they can see it down to the metre. They're like someone's done, you know, 15Ks, you know, between the hours of 12 a.m. and 5 a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're Paris on a night yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's in his quotas. Well, I reckon there would have been blokes who just like got on a bike and just did a run and just kept it at about 10 to 15 k's and did it on a bike. But um, nah, so they actually, the AFLPA banned that because they said, look, it's not like guys need, you can't be watching them and making them stress every minute yeah. of the off season. So they give you a program. I think like if you technically don't come back in good condition, there's a thing in your contract that, could be disciplined if you were severely unfit but they can't now say you haven't done the program perfectly we're going to fine you five grand yeah, because you're not yeah. which they used to be able to do based on the gps they go you didn't do that session we could technically fine you because we can prove that you didn't do the running session so how, yeah what's the legality of that like surely you get some time off yeah like so typically the way it works is the season finishes just say you, you know didn't make finals you finished in september one most teams would probably give their players three to four weeks of not much activity, maybe a you know one or two like a slow jog or maybe a you know a bike trot around on your bike and maybe a little bit of upper body weights if you feel like it, but not much for three or four weeks. Then you'd have three to four weeks of sort of intro program, which is two to three runs per week, which will have starting off at sort of longer, slower stuff like five, you know four by five minute runs with a few strides in there. But then the last sort of four weeks, of the off season is where you. Flat out footy, agility, shuttle runs, expected to probably get 30 minutes of skills with a partner or a group. Um, and the weights is pretty intense at that stage. So you sort of build up in three-month blocks yeah. till you come back in December. It'd be a much-needed break. I mean, obviously it's a privilege to play AFL and, and the money's good, but you do forgo a bit. You can, it's not like you can go out with your mates on a Friday night and have some beers or, you know, do those overseas trips or anything. You know, you're very you're accountable. One, you're one chance to have... Yeah, sort of, you know, live a bit of a normal life is that first two or three weeks after the season. Like yeah. If you go holidaying then, you don't really have much training, which is when I'd always try and travel. You'd book your, your flights as soon as you knew you were done or, you know, if you know, you're hoping to play the grand final. Yeah, you don't want to jinx it. <laughs> I, I would never book my flights <laughs> nah. unless I knew I probably was out. Which happened a few, like I had one year booked and then shoulder needed surgery, had to have surgery and couldn't go on the yeah. trip. So, you know, you don't want to throw away two grand of flights down the drain <laughs> yeah, because you're going to do well. the last game. So, which is a different scenario when you were, when we were shit. First eight, nine seasons, we didn't play finals. We didn't look like it really until that last sort of year. And you'd book it with eight weeks to go. Blokes would be organised. Who's going to Bali? Who's <laughs> this? And 
you know, there'd be a bit of like, just don't get hurt in the last week because you're coming, you're last. Like, and it still happens now. If you know you're out of finals, blokes are booking trips. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> luckily, the last few years, we, yeah, it's been, let's not organise anything. No one books anything until fully out. So. Where has been your go to in the off season? Are you a, a bit of a um, FIFO worker, tradie, and you just strictly Bali or Thailand? Nah, <laughs> nah, nah. It's actually not my thing. First time I went to Bali, got Bali belly and didn't like it. So. <laughs> And always sweaty. Um, no, nah, I did two two trips with Dommy Tyson. So I did most of my travelling with Dommy when I was younger. And we went to Europe a couple of times. We went to the States twice. Um, Europe, we sort of did a bit of everything from all the way from Portugal, went across to Poland. Um, then we went to the States and did like a normal sort of States trip, of like Vegas, New York, LA, San Fran. Didn't like enjoyed it, but wasn't really my thing. And the last couple of times I went, I went with my now wife and Maxi Gorn and his wife. We yeah. did a, we drove from Seattle. Um, no, sorry, with Maxi and that we we flew into Texas and then drove all the way across to Florida and then up to Georgia and South Carolina. That how was how awesome. was it in the deep south? Loved it, and I just makes every time I want to go back, I just want to go from that sort of area. Like I want to start doing. We want to do a trip and actually go from Kansas City up to Green Bay and watch football games yeah, at both nice. of them and. Well, that it ends at the pers- the perfect time. The AFL season. Oh, it's perfect for the NFL. And we did another trip. We drove from Seattle down to Denver and Colorado. Went through Yellowstone and all that sort of stuff. And we just thought we had so much more fun on that trip than we did at the Vegas and New York trip. And spent a quarter of the amount of money because yeah. you'd buy two dollar Budweisers at a local bar. <laughs> yeah. Um, just had so much fun. So next time we go, yeah, we're planning to yeah fly to Texas and then drive our way up to Green Bay. Hopefully, taking the kids as well. Or yeah, we'll probably have to on the next one, which would be interesting. But, but last time we got a big Dodge Ram, we'll do the same thing. Put some oh, kids' nice. seats in the back. <laughs> Put them in the back. Yeah. <laughs> They're huge. They've come over here now to Australia. Amazing. They are massive. I actually bumped into a guy the other day. Um, he's a Melbourne supporter and he's the, the engineer for the Ford F-150 and they're coming over and he said, yeah, when they're here, come over and have a test drive. So yeah. That'd be nice. Nice connection to bump into, yeah. which is cool. Probably a good segue because you've – recently done up a very flash a mustang i believe yep i've just finished so i bought uh a 20 uh, sorry i bought a 2017 mustang when they first came to australia again i was you know single sort of trying to live my best life <laughs> and thought i'd look cool in a mustang <laughs> chap laps yeah had a heap of fun in that and then um decided that like as much as that was cool everyone started i got it right at the start and then i sort of they were everywhere every bloke had one on the street and I thought, no, nah, I want the original thing now. So I was searching around and I thought, oh, I'll pick one of these, like pick something up old for 30 grand and sell my um, newer one. And when I started doing research, 30 grand doesn't get you much in those. So I ended up finding this smashed up old um, 1967 Fastback, which was quite a rare model. And the bloke told me, he's like, look, this is 30 grand and it's an absolute shell, but they're pretty hard to find, especially in Australia. And if you want to have a go at it, like it'll be a pretty cool car. Yeah. And that was five years ago and just finished it last, <laughs> last week. So... Five um, years. Yeah, which is still pretty quick compared to what some – like some guys are doing cars for 15 years just in their backyard. Did so you, it was it was just a shell. You had to find all parts um, well, stuff. Well, it had all the stuff in it. Like it had the motor and transmission, but, you know, it was like no flaws in it. The doors are rusted out. Yep. The interior was like eaten by mice and – like it was disgusting. It's <laughs> Like it was totally stuffed. needed every bit of body work. Like every panel needed rust cut out or changed out doors or whatever. And so we're lucky that my cousin Dino, who – knows all the cars. I did all the mechanical stuff with him and then he had his best mate who was a panel beater who did all the body work for us. So Beautiful. Does, uh, does anyone at the club get a bit anxious when you hop on the power tools? <laughs> <laughs> uh, nah, because there's blokes doing all kinds. Like guys going surfing on reefs and stuff and cars are probably one of the... I think they'd be pretty happy if they had players working on cars instead of 
out at nightclubs at 2 a.m. Yeah. Probably a safer you, way to do it. Well, that's. did you get it done? Well, you had the injury mid-season. Did that help in finishing the car? Could nah, you, could you I stay on your feet done. at all? No, nah, uh, at that stage I couldn't do much. The yep. last couple of months in the off-season I could do a, bit, a fair bit. I would have been done if it wasn't for... Dan Andrews and lockdowns. That's oh, right. that's yeah, true. Up. That would have yeah, forgot about that for the two years. It was down in Geelong, so I couldn't go down and you couldn't leave Melbourne for yep. however long it was. So I couldn't drive down to um, Geelong. I was going down every Sunday at like six a.m. Spend the afternoon, the whole day there, fixing the car up, and then coming back. But um, yeah, Can't, so I would have been done two years ago. Couldn't have even done the dodgy and kept your license registered as your parents' yeah. house. <laughs> <laughs> I think a few people figured out like the big loophole in the end was oh, I'm caring for a pregnant friend. So I yeah. should have just said that because you couldn't <laughs> prove it, couldn't ask any questions. So, How did you find going through lockdown, especially because you've got a young family, not even being able to go to a playground or something like yeah. that? Um, first bit was actually kind of cool because like the first you know, few months it was just home with our little daughter who was very little at that stage, like only a couple of months old. So that was actually fun. It was when it sort of dragged on that it <laughs> so much. And then, you know, playgrounds, I did be nut when playgrounds yeah. were done because that was like our only escape. So, yeah, you know, there's a couple of good things there with the kids, spending more time with them, but, like, footy training became a disaster. Like, we just – you're training in small groups. And even we were lucky compared to, you know, every other job. Like, we could still go and train, but it was, like, training in pairs or training in small groups at the club and you couldn't touch each other's footballs. They'd sanitise the footballs. Like, just <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous things in between. It is funny. You look back now and you go, God, what are we doing? It's, it's probably, probably not good as a forward. Everyone's just slipping through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, God, there's so much strange stuff. Like even like gym, the way we like have gym rotations and having to wipe down all the gym equipment, which was just so different. We're just used to everyone would just share stuff. Yeah. and Yeah, very strange. All the travel requirements. and So where were you based that first year when the, you had the Queensland bubbles? You in Brisbane? or cause I know if We you... were um, Maroochydore. Yeah. yeah. So we were at like the Novotel there, which we'd stayed at a heap of times for our – we do a pre-season camp there most years, so we knew it pretty well. Um and look, that was it was a good setup, but it was just the downside of once you were there, we you couldn't really leave the facility, so you're sort of lo- locked in the bubble when we were there. You could leave for like um, exercise or beach recovery, and that was about it. Um, and so guys would be doing that beach recovery every day, <laughs> yeah. three times a day, like just for something to do. But it was um, well, who left this surfboard on the beach? Yeah. Well, maybe I'll just pick it up. <laughs> well, that, it was probably good for the blokes who were into surfing. Yeah, get out we, of the beach. There was a one, the one thing was we'd walk out to the, be- the beach like behind the hotel and blokes would be just out there every day. That was the one sort of release we had that was fun. And I was playing shit. I was out of the side. And so I was just hating it. I was like, get me out of this joint. Like, I've had enough. Like, I'm living in a hotel. I was living in a room like half the size of this with my daughter sleeping at the end of the bed who wouldn't sleep. And I just had enough. I wanted so to go home. It was hotel rooms. It wasn't like you had kind of in a sort of self-contained house or anything. Was nah, it? So I think some teams have better situations occasionally. And if you had a big family, they'd get you like two hotel rooms. But we, uh, in hindsight, we should have pushed a bit harder. But yeah, we were just a literally a Novotel hotel room. And then... Pot at the end of the bed. For 20, four months. Twenty twenty one. Where were you guys based then? I'm trying to. F- no, nah, it was all in Melbourne. There was just a few games where they had no crowds. Yeah. Like randomly on and off, and then at the end of the season for the grand final, the finals, we went to Perth and yeah. we were um, <coughs> Perth for. So you did the two weeks full quarantine, like in the facility. You could leave on like a secure bus to go to train at the local oval. We couldn't go to like um, West Coast Oval or anything. But then as soon as that two weeks was done, we were totally free. Whereas when we were in Gold Coast, there was no, like, two weeks quarantine, then you're free. It was just you're in this bubble the whole time. So once we were done with that, like, boys, we'd just go for breakfast, dinner every night we could in Perth because we hadn't done it for months in Melbourne. <laughs> and it was awesome. Like, Perth was amazing yeah. after the first two weeks. And 
and then we won the granny and we we're out at nightclubs and pubs and there was four thousand people in the place the size of this house and like we just couldn't believe it, it was so foreign to have people nose to nose in a nightclub again. Were there a lot of blokes who didn't come back, didn't they? They're just like, what's the point in coming? Nah, out? some guys came back like two days before preseason started, like twelve weeks later. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, they, they was like, that fuck way. that, I'm not going back to <laughs> Melbourne because we got back to Melbourne and then you couldn't even have people to your house to show them the premiership medal or the cup. So I was like at the front of the house with the cup, like getting photos of my family and stuff because <laughs> you couldn't have people inside the house. Oh, yeah, so strange. How were, how were the celebrations over in WA? Did you have a few local boys in the team there that knew where to go and what to do? Well, yeah, we did, but like we were just so looked after by the club had stuff organised. So as soon as we so we finished the game, we're in the rooms and we're back out on the field, like singing the song on the field and dancing on the field and carrying on. And they put us on a – we're back in the rooms again just having sing-alongs. The best half an hour ever after winning the flag is like when you're – on the field and then back in the rooms and you've got like someone had a Yui boom thing going on and we were just singing flat out like horses like all those sort of <laughs> songs and everyone's getting hammered and then they put us on a bus into the city and everyone's still in full boots jersey everything i had a shower just fully kitted up because i was like i just stink like beer and champagne <laughs> so we went to this nightclub and gorney's sitting at the front and i was like in the second row and gorney's got the cup and he gets out and he just walks to the front of the line at this nightclub and they, they just like parade us up the top level and Gorney just walks in the whole way with his arm up with the, <laughs> with the cuff up and we all walked in with boots on and then all the staff and all the family comes in and like there was just thousands of people on the street just like high five and Gorney at the front <laughs> it was like it was the most surreal moment that bit and that was at Perth where no one went for us like I can't imagine what it would be like being in Melbourne yeah I don't know who's got the credits for um freed from desire but the Melbourne football club should probably get a bit of a cut out of that <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know because like there's a thing with the doggies. I hadn't seen the doggies thing till afterwards that they'd played it the week before or something. But um, I think the other boys who put it on must have known. But because yeah. I don't reckon I really ever heard that song out that much, and then it was like it's one flag. Yeah, they went crazy. Ever, yeah. Playing it ten times a night in <laughs> <laughs> some clubs. That <laughs> worked out all right in the end. Yeah, so it was pretty. That was a, and that was like the first night. That Sunday they put on a day at the. Um, oh, what's the one of like the water waterfront sort of pubs down there. Ocean Beach Hotel. Yeah, something like that. That was all put on for us, which was awesome. And um, then it sort of, you know, dies down a little bit Monday morning, Monday lunch, and then everyone gets going again Monday night. <laughs> and then by the time we got to Wednesday, you've got to do the signing day. And everyone's had four days on the piss and they just haven't slept and they've just had enough pretty much. <laughs> and you've got to sign. The guys who played have to sign 2,000 jerseys for the – like they sell them off, framed yeah. all the official ones, and you've got to do it properly because we heard this story about Libba. Have you heard this one? No, I haven't. So Libba, after the 2016 one, apparently was so hungover and came in and didn't sign and properly just wrote like TL. <laughs> <laughs> and they got to the end, they're like, "This is not like people have paid two and a half grand for this jersey, Libba. Like you can't do this. You've got to re-sign every one of them." So everyone's doing it properly, but it was eight hours of just sitting there signing, signing passed as quick as you could, and we're like. Everyone's hungover, hating it. And my, I reckon I'd struggle to sign my signature 2,000 times sober, let alone... Yeah. <laughs> it was just... But every, every one of them were getting paid. So the boys were like, just keep doing them, just keep doing them, pump them out, pump them <laughs> For the out. club. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you get a nice royalty off each one. So we're uh, like, just keep signing them as quick as you can, boys. Who, who would have had the best off-season, the celebrations, um, post-grand final? Probably the younger blokes. Nah, nah. Michael Hibbard by far. <laughs> Him and Maisie. Uh, Hibbo has, is now on the Wall of Honour down at Sorrento Pub. Have you heard that? No, I haven't. So if you can do 100 pots in a weekend, you get a like a little plaque. So he did 100 pots from Friday, Saturday, Sunday. 
Um, that is impressive. He's he's going. You've got to document every one of them. Wow, he's from Frankston, isn't he? That's just down down the road. That didn't include the 12 beers in the golf course each day before he got there. (laughs) That's an enormous, enormous effort. Oscar was there for that weekend, actually. Oscar watched the whole thing. That's a very stereotypical Melbourne, isn't it? Down at Sorrento and Porty. You don't hear those stories though anymore. Like you hear Bernie on the plane and stuff, but yeah. you don't hear about it anymore. Oh, it is a rare. Like that was yeah. probably a special, special example. But um, yeah, but they, once we got back from there, we only really had the four or five days. You couldn't do it. There's no pubs open in Melbourne, so it was pretty quiet after that. That's I probably should have stayed longer, but I, you know, I've been away from the family for five or six weeks, so I was looking forward to getting home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As opposed to probably some of the younger single blokes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and everyone was like, "Just stay. Don't come home." Like make the most of being away because who knows like we were like what if we go back into another lockdown or something and just stay away as long as you can well, so. it's the old the old <laughs> what's the hardest thing about you know one week lockdown <laughs> the fifth month yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. Well, you couldn't do anything so then did you celebrate after the fact i know you have to wait until the round one of the next yeah. season and stuff but was there another celebration between then or we did a day down at um down the peninsula where we'd done drinks at a brewery with all the boys who played and but nothing real formal to be honest like we had uh we had a dinner at the start of the season last year where we got premiership rings which is pretty cool so the club organized like oh nice not like the nba ones but do they, but do they normally do that other clubs i think a couple have done it collingwood's done it in 2010 some teams have done like a watch maybe that's engraved on the inside. Yep. Um, but yeah, the club just thought the rings would be a cool way to do it. So you get your number on it. It says like MFC 2021 Premiers and some diamonds underneath the top bit. Like it looks really, it's not. Yeah, yeah it's not, it doesn't open much. up and play music and nah, <laughs> take nah. photos of you or something. But like it kind of looks not like when I, like it's a, you know, wear it with a, every now and then when I wear a nice watch with wedding ring and stuff, but it, it's not something you'd wear around every day. But it's <laughs> not like, well, when Shaq was in town, he had, have you seen his ring that he puts on his, it is yeah. huge. You well, can't be wearing well, it one of the, He's got four of them though, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, they're like, massive. Yeah. Sorry, boys, you better go to a quick break. Uh, we're on a tight schedule, but we'll be back shortly. All right, welcome back. Uh, sorry for the brief break for anyone who's watching the videos. Uh, apparently, the taxation rates for DSLR cameras are different to video cameras and they're maxed out at 30 minutes. Uh, otherwise, you get a lot higher duty on the video cameras. Correct, Toss. Also, we don't have any videos up on YouTube yet, so no one's actually going to be watching this <laughs> on the YouTube. We need to work out the internet problem at the boys' house. Our producers have a little problem with that. I was trying to preface that. You know, if there's any sponsors out there, you know, looking for someone to promote, we need a bit of cash so we can actually afford a decent video camera. <laughs> <laughs> they do all right. We look all right on them at least. So reach out to me in my DMs because we definitely don't have a business email yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's all through Tossel's TikTok. Yeah, professional. Uh, anyway, we'll get get back. Uh, an area you're quite passionate about, and we had a bit of a chat before, barbecuing. you quite the maestro. Now, tell us how you got into that. Was that your kind of America trip was really where you opened up your eyes to it? or I think so, yeah. I think it was, and then lockdown probably helped a bit as well. But um, the reason I actually started doing it, so years and years ago, probably would have been eight to ten years ago, at the start of my footy career, um, we had a you know like a nutritionist and a doctor come in who were quite big on doing like low carb diets, and um, a lot of guys tried it and did like a keto low carb sort of setup, and guys lost a lot. Like I, I trimmed right down, like got as lean as I'd ever had back then, and really sort of like I enjoyed it, and I loved doing all that. Like I was like, oh shit, so I can have steak and bacon and eggs <laughs> and still get leaner, and I was like, as yeah, my skin folds were down like low thirties at that stage. 
but I sort of didn't feel that great when I got to games doing it. So I sort of went back to a normal sports diet where you're doing carbs the night before games and big trainings. And um, this actually sort of kicked off because at the end of the 2020 season, the hub year, when I was playing shit and I was out of the side and I'd had a few injuries and I was playing a bit heavy, um, I was like, well, I need to lose like three or four kilos to get back to moving really well. And I was like, well, I want to go back to doing the low-carb diet. And so I started doing that. But then I was like, well, last time I struggled a bit when it got to the high-end power and repeat speed. Like I felt awesome doing long-distance running, but I struggled with the – like in the gym or sprint work. And so I was like, did some more research, did some more reading. And a lot of people had said the same thing when they did it for sports. Like typically I was Googling stuff and it was usually with soccer. Like guys had done soccer and had the same sort of issue. And some people said going more um, high protein, moderate fat and a little bit more carbs will probably help you feel really good on that. So what I did was um, sort of did this carnivore diet for a few months where I, same thing, like I dropped, I think I dropped five kilos of body fat but put on two kilos of muscle via that we get scanned by these DEXA scanners. Yeah. So I can tell you exactly your percentage of body fat, muscle, bone structure, water, all that sort of stuff. And um, usually it's, you know, it's too hard, it's hard to lose fat and keep muscle on, but I actually did it at that stage. Um, and I just sort of went back to doing heaps of steak, but then I was like, I want to do this slow cooked meat sort of stuff. And uh, got right into doing brisket, pulled pork and, a bit like Tossel was saying before, we were talking about how many YouTube videos I would have watched, like <laughs> hundreds of hours of um, Mad Scientist Barbecue and um, oh, there's a few other like awesome YouTubers who just step it out, like how to do it, times, temperatures. And that first that first period of lockdowns was all those barbecue shows came on Netflix as well. Yeah. So they all just took off for a pit bit. Masters yeah, the pit masters. Like <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh my God, how, no wonder they're so like, fat in America <laughs> down in Texas. That's what, well, they've they got the, queen, so the queens of this, the, whatever it's called, the queens of the, the barbecue. Well, they put so much stuff on it as well. Like they'd be having, you know, huge big rolls with barbecue sauce. So when I did it, I tried to just keep it as, you know, lean as I could. I'd have my brisket and I'd have some barbecue sauce or I'd have pulled pork and I might buy some like low carb wraps from the supermarket to have it in. So I was pretty anal about it at that stage, trying to lose the weight and, um, it got a little bit, but like it's too. I don't do it to that extent anymore. I still probably eat a pretty high protein diet, but for that three or three to six months, I was just like literally. I'd wake up, have three hundred grams of bacon, four eggs, and some <laughs> avocado, and then lunch. I'd like take it. I'd go to the local um, kebab store out in Cranbourne where we were training, and I'd buy like the lamb chicken mix pack, and I'd just say, "Mate, no, no chips in the HSP. Just make the whole thing." Meat. <laughs> And I just have that for lunch, and then I come home and have like lamb the holy trinity. Yeah, yeah, that's what I get. And like, so I started getting a few boys to come along with me. So like, me and Brayshaw and um, Spargo would go out and we get the lamb chicken with like garlic barbecue sauce, and (laughs) that would be our lunch. And it'd be like five hundred grams of meat in the tub. How are your guts after that? No, actually, everyone says this like because all that stuff I felt awesome. I've done it for I did it for a week just the the carnival diet, and I did have some dicey days there. Oh, look, your first few days, maybe. Yeah. But as soon as you push through that first week or two, I felt great. Um, and was, again, yeah, as lean as I'd been and running great. And I had, like, the next year I had one of my best seasons ever and we won the flag. So it was a pretty good turnaround. The problem was I I was training so much as well, I probably overdid it a bit. Like, I got to the end of that season, I had, like, back stress fracture. I was getting toroidal injections in my ass for the finals games to play. And, like, I was, I was shot by the end of the year. I trained too hard. Because um, I was just so, I was like, I gotta, I'm gonna be as fit as I've ever been on day one, and I just, and I was eating so disciplined, I never really gave myself a break. So now I'm trying to, you know, balance it out a little bit more and be a little yeah. bit more realistic. Do you reckon there was a testosterone boost as well coming along <laughs> with all the meat? Uh, I think so. Like I think there's actually, like there's definitely something to that. That yeah. you know, um, 
there was so many parts of my training that was going so well from doing it. So, yeah, it's just you just need so much discipline to do it long term, though. Sorry for those listeners. <laughs> right. we'll, out there. We maxed out the SD card. We'll cut it. We'll cut it together. <laughs> but we've got a mate, Will here as well, who's a, a physio, and they, it was just touching on with you then, uh, Tom, about your foot injury you did last year, mm-hmm. and then you came back towards the end of the season, didn't you? In the VFL, yep. tried to get back, did you? And you injured it again. Well, I I did, but it wasn't um, as like it wasn't the end of the world. So I I had Liz Frank surgery uh, like after round. I did it in round 10, had it like two weeks later. I actually tried to – like I didn't know – we couldn't find out it was a Liz Frank. I had four – three MRIs. None of them showed a Liz Frank injury because it's quite a sort of strange-looking injury on a scan. And I was trying to train and I was like, I can't move out here. This is so bad. And they're like, no, nah, just get a few more Ks of running in. We'll get you up for next week. And I, was, I just cracked it. I just kicked the footy away. I was like, no, nah, this is shit. And they're like, all right, let's go get a weighted CT. And they're like – the doctor called me. She's like, "Look, I'm so sorry. We've stuffed up here. Like, <laughs> you snap, you lose Frank. You're out for the rest of the year, and you're gonna have to have surgery." And <laughs> I was like, "I knew something was wrong." Um, and then, yeah, so I came back and played the last couple of VFL games. And first one, I played pretty sh- like was feeling pretty average with the foot. Second one, I actually started to feel pretty good. And then I got my foot stuck under me in a tackle, and I snapped a couple of screws out. And they had to t- the screws have to come out anyway. And yeah. I didn't do any other damage, but they just said, "Yep." That's done. You won't play in the VFL Grand Final and the AFL got knocked out that week to your boys, actually. Was it Brisbane yeah, or Sydney? Yeah, the Brizzy boys. Brizzy boys, Man, yeah. We, we couldn't speak after that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, yeah. I wasn't going to bring it up, but yeah, it was a good day. Don't <laughs> yeah. mention the war. Yeah. So, yeah, and then I've just been on the sort of rehab path from there and look, it's been frustrating. Like the hardest injury I've ever had to come back from. Just like I'm back into full training, but I just deal with the, the pain every day. Is sh- Not so much in the session, but like I wake up in the morning, can't walk and takes sort of half an hour to get it going and it's sort of a bit of like you sort of got to go through everyone who's had it and says you've got to go through this sort of process for a couple of months um but it's just a shit period to be in when you're in the hardest sort of training phase of the season at the moment yeah and now you were talking what was it two two years ago there was talks of you trying to get traded and you thought you couldn't find your way in the forward line now come this season you're back from injury you're nice and fit and then you had luke jackson leave and then weeds is left as well yeah and now you might be the most experienced forward in the forward line and you've got a, a spot there now. So how are you seeing that forward line shape up this year? Uh, good. Yeah, um, look, I'm yeah, honestly just trying to get back to them because I haven't played for so long, trying to get back into the team and playing well. And um, we've got a new young guy who we drafted two years ago, Jacob Van Royen, who's gone really well and he's a good key forward. So I anticipate him to play a fair bit of the season. Um, but yeah, I've honestly just – I haven't really even worried about – the games because you're so concerned every day just you know doing your rehab getting tra- ready for training getting through each session because every session we do is essentially a game at the moment like today was a 13 kilometer session which is more than we were doing a game and then we've got to do that again wednesday and then we'll have 15ks on friday so it's honestly just like survival at the moment trying to get through the next session yeah. trying to do everything you can to feel all right for the next day and um so that's honestly where i'm at until we start playing the games and the schedule changes massively to be way more recovery based and you focus on the game you just got to get through this period because you started off in the back line, didn't you? Do you have a personal preference? Uh, definitely forward. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, like anyone, everyone <laughs> likes to say, yeah, do the team thing. And I think I've seen some videos of you kicking a goal. I reckon you thoroughly <laughs> <laughs> enjoy kicking a snag. Well, but to be fair, I played full back in the worst team in history as well. So <laughs> we, you got some pastings <laughs> early on. I think there was a season we won two games and our um, – percentage was worse than North Melbourne's this year so and everyone thought North Melbourne were the worst team ever this year and we were way worse so and that was for about eight years we were in the bottom four so I chose the wrong time in my career to be playing fullback but look I loved it I loved the 
you know, it's so much easier to find the footy. You're always involved. Like, it can be games forward where you're just starving for a kick and you can't get near it. So, <laughs> it's probably better than those days when you're playing fullback and you're getting goals kicked on you and you just feel like you can do nothing about yeah, it. Yeah, it doesn't leave your back 50 ever. Yeah. yeah. Can so. you tell us this? And Dad, who's probably one of the only 10 listeners to this podcast, needs to know, why is it that when every AFL player kicks a goal, the runner comes out straight onto the bench? Yeah. Um, so they'll pre-program, like they've got a board, like a computer on the sideline that'll have everyone's game time. Like in, and since they've had a rotation, it'll have their sort of GPS data. Um, it'll be like telling them this bloke's cooked, he needs a rest. And so typically it'll just be unlucky that that bloke's due to come off. We've tried to say like, you boys call it from the forward six, who's going to have a rest every goal. But sometimes it'll be like that guy's been on for 25 minutes and he's just kicked a goal. He needs to have a spell because the other blokes have already had two rests. Yeah. So Would you ever go, I'm running hot, just leave well, me on? That's Trigger in the grand final. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> leave him on. Yeah. They they will do that now. Like now they'll just say, no, no, keep him on. Like don't go. The coach will tell the fitness guy, just leave that bloke there now. But typically, especially if it's a key forward, if it's a key forward because they get more chance at it. Small forward like kicks a goal, it's not like – they get another six chances at a contested mark. Whereas, like, typically a key forward marks one, they're feeling real confident to go by, to go over, jump at another one, and so you leave them out there. Who in the team hates getting taken off the most? Is anyone oh. who will look at the trainer with disdain? Like, don't take me off. It's kind of funny, though. Because there probably is. Clayton probably hates. Clayton Oliver's just so competitive, he just hates coming <laughs> Track likes a spell as well, though. He needs a rest. So. <laughs> but that's the thing now. He's is so explosive. The milkman? Milksham. Nah, he'd be all right. I, I find most people, especially forwards, you're so exhausted. So the running you've got to do now to get back up the ground defensively, you just want a break. Like, you actually need a rest every quarter. If you're getting two every quarter, it's too much and you don't want to go off the second time. But you need a rest every quarter or you're just so cooked. The running is so hard now. It's not the like High-speed repeat running is so bad that you can't do it with the intensity if you don't have a rest. Not like the 90s when you either... Spent all your time on the ground or off it. Who was it? Um, was it Cam Mooney who came on for about two minutes? Two minutes of <laughs> the grand final. Yeah, <laughs> you don't see that these days. Well, you do used to be like that when I was in junior footy. Like I was playing like seniors at fifteen, sixteen, and they'd I'd be on the bench, and you'd come on if there was a blowout and there was fifteen minutes left in the last quarter. <laughs> and that was just normal. Like I suppose it's probably the equivalent of the sub in your first game. Like that's a pretty dog act, I reckon. Yeah, yeah and then, and then yeah, you get credited with the game for it. Yeah, that is yeah. That is one of the. Well, they've got the sub back this year as well. So now it's it's no medical sub. It's just a free use sub. Four on the bench plus a sub now. And season. they can use it for whatever, whatever yeah. you want. But I mean, in the seventies and eighties, I used to just. I didn't realize this until recently. But speaking to my old man and other people that age, so I used to have two on the bench. Could and you imagine? Then it was three later on. I went to three at one stage, and then four was sort of. 90s wasn't it yeah could you imagine the work rate that AFL is now just two on the bench you'd yeah. probably end up playing 16 a side <laughs> you just couldn't do it you it's the hardest role is the high half forwards like you sort of for us it's Alex Neilbull and Charlie Spargo their running is insane compared to everyone else so we measure like distance but then we have this metric called high speed which is sort of like a fast stride and then there's sprint which is above 25 26 k's an hour which is flat out but those boys have the most of the game in the high speed band, like over three k's a game in that striding distance, and it's just that's the hardest position by far. Because every time there's a turnover, they're expected to get back up, yeah. like in line with the ball to defend, and then they've got to get back out the back on offense. Like, it, as, role sucks. As a four, you're probably playing arguably the hardest time now because of what we spoke about earlier, the congestion in the game. It's not like 
you know, the 90s where everyone would be out of the forward 50. Yeah. <laughs> you just have Wayne Carey sitting in, in yeah. the forward square. And no one wants to sit in front of Plugger when he comes through with a flying elbow. <laughs> no. He'd go out of his way <laughs> to yeah, knock exactly. a bloke out yeah. <laughs> and then take the mark. It's kind of, it's hard to think that that's what it was like, like that, you could, that footy was like that where you'd be playing back pocket and you'd be on your man's shoulder while Plugger Lockett's sitting in the square getting a free run at a footy. <laughs> that was what you had to do was playing your man. Whereas now it's like everything is taught to be how can you cut off in front, how can you zone off and help your defenders. And Do you think there's a solution to it? You know, the game will sort itself out or there's anything they could well, tweak? To did you find that difference with the man on the mark and man then the, mark the six, 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 six to start as well? Man on the mark helps massively. Um, 666 definitely helps I think they're all actually Been pretty good ideas I think you should be Even stricter on the man On the mark Not strict on the guys Who run around I reckon it's shit yeah, When they yeah, pay yeah. 50 When a guy's like Eight metres away That shit yeah. But that man on the mark Sometimes they let him like I'll be on your back About to spoil And then I pull back off After you've taken the mark And they let me walk back But it should be If you're anywhere Near the area You've got to stand So don't let them Get back off And um you know, take up more space. They should be super strict and that allows the kick out to actually move the ball with some more speed. Funny you talk about, you know, how strict they are and, you know, just being in the area. Imagine if you get to a final or a grand final and someone goes over the mark by, you know, two centimetres. Jim Stein style. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the punishment doesn't match the crime. I mean, yeah. it used to be, again, we're talking about old footy, but it used to be like 15 metres, didn't it? And was it yeah. Kevin Sheedy or someone? Yeah. They'd just throw the ball away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <you laughs> they almost need to make it for like things like that, the real bad time wasting, make them like 70 and make the little ones. Yeah, back yeah, to yeah. Yeah, just halve it for the little. Yeah. But, but whether the, the, then the umpires have to like get the meterage yeah, right and. Yeah. But I, I like the I like those rules. I think it's never going to go back to the way it was. But we've you've sort of noticed last year the good teams all played way faster. Collingwood, yep. Sydney, and Geelong. Geelong, who would normally just the chip it around sort of team, go as quick as they can if they get a chance. Yeah, to yeah. You've got to go fast because if you try and beat teams when there's ten on ten in the D fifty, it's too hard. But if you get a ball with some speed, like guys like Jeremy Cameron getting at the back, like they're so hard to defend. What do you think of something like an interchange cap? Would you be for that or against it? Or well, it's still well, it's at ninety now, isn't it? Ninety's about right. Yeah. Like I don't think there should be one, but ninety doesn't affect it much more than if you didn't have one anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's just shit when you come off and you sit there for like, if you're there on an interchange cap where you'd have to sit there for twelve minutes, you get cold and sore and yeah, yeah. Players don't like you don't like sitting there for ages. A couple of minute rest back onto it, it's great. How do you find going with like the rule change every year? I mean, like they tweak it a bit, but well, not not massively. Well, they give you a presentation. They usually send out the umpires each year in the preseason. The umpires start umpiring from about now at our training, so they come out and do their practice, and they're usually pretty good at going. Look, we've the rules changed slightly for this. The holding the ball. The now they're onto the um, using your shoulder to you know yeah, the cause the high yeah, tackle yeah. sort of stuff. So. They'll come out and talk about the points of emphasis and they'll have clips from last year about this is what we think we need to go harder on. and So you get a fair – we get a fair bit of warning. You guys probably don't watch it on TV because you just say, <laughs> yeah. oh, what's this idiot paid this for? But we generally know what's going on. They probably should do a better job of sending that out to yeah. – How's the, the adjustment website? when you couldn't yell at them for the first year? <laughs> like the first year and I'm so bad at it. <laughs> yeah. I just blow up yeah. and get so angry. They had this punishment at training for a while where if you yelled at one of the coaches who were the umpires – you have to go do a 150. And so <laughs> Doing I, a half marathon. Yeah, <laughs> so I'd just like lose it and they're like, fucking Tommy, off you go. And so I'd go do point post to point post and the team would be down like 6-5 in the group because you'd have six on six and I'd have to be doing a 150. And so that sort of taught me to 
stop yelling and stop swearing. <laughs> I just get so angry on the field with umpiring decisions. Like I find it so hard. To, I don't get angry at anything else, but a bad call against me, I just get so angry on the field. You're so passionate. You're so in the moment. It's, yeah. it's easy to say, like, don't do anything like untoward. You just can't <laughs> control yourself, though. Yeah. You're so angry. It's you're crazy. So and then you watch the soccer and stuff, and they're yelling at them. They're in their face, like pushing their them face, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're touching the umpires. It's ridiculous. Can you imagine that if you went and like, grabbed an umpire like oh they do? And it would all hell would break loose. Who? Who uh, what? Umpires. I'm trying to think. Is he old days? Phil Carmen, I think. He's an Eden Hope boy. Is He's he? Eden Hope, yeah. So yeah. talking, to, what is it with Eden Hope and being good runners? Because apparently he had one of the best tan running times. Oh, really? I didn't know that. It was like sub 11 minutes. Like Everyone at Eden Hope just said he could have been anything and everything, but just probably didn't get the most out of his talents and probably, yeah, punched on a bit too much. And <laughs> well, I think he headbutted a, an umpire and yeah. he got suspended for a season and then yeah. he went and played in the sand floor or something. Yep, yep. And that's, <laughs> but, yeah, people back home reckon he could have been, yeah, one of the best players in the comp. Yeah. Is there any pl- is there any players that you played with in those early days when you were losing so much that you thought could have had a better run in a better team and were oh. really good that probably don't get the recognition they deserve? Yeah, uh, let me think through who we had. Because losing by that, losing by that much sometimes will probably demoralise a lot of players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think like so. Jared Rivers left and went and played a couple of years at Geelong. Yeah, I think he would have probably had an even better career at a better side. Yeah, he was sort of like like when Danny Frawley left to Hawthorne. Yeah, at the end. Of, um, yeah, James. James. James, James yeah, James Frawley left at the end of yeah. his career. Bit the same, but James yep. had an amazing career as well. Yeah. Um, who else? Like Lyndon Dunn had a really good career at Collingwood when he left Melbourne. Um, he probably sort of figured out he was playing as a forward for his first seven or eight careers, and he was actually just he was just a gun key defender. Sort of, yeah, sort of like Jeremy Howe. Yeah, how he's, how he's probably the one guy who's gone and had the best yeah. career leaving. Like it all sort of started to work for him when he left. Well, is that the thing you think? Like you know, everyone bags out teams, so you know how they pick, you know, draftees and stuff like that. But you know, it's probably an easy excuse. You know, the culture probably wasn't that flash. You know. In, 2011, 2012, and you look at like the clubs like Geelong or Hawthorne back when they were good and they'd get people 50, 60, and yeah. just because it's a great, stable environment to really well, they, they, get, good. they yeah. actually get the best out of the players. Well, it yeah. sort of still happens these days with, like you saw a, a Jason Horn Francis, wanted, he was number one and he didn't want to hang around at the club because it was so crap, mm. and that's how it was. And then did, did you have any reservations when you got drafted or are you just stoked? To get drafted, no, but really you didn't I care. was wrapped to go to Melbourne because the year before that actually finished ninth, and they're on the way up, and it was all <laughs> yeah, right. looking pretty good. And then that first year, we we're actually going okay. And towards the end of the year, that was when we lost by 186 to Geelong. Yeah, coach got sacked, and that it just all went down. We were actually still only a game out of finals when we lost by 186 that day. Yeah, and still like sacked the coach, and all that happened anyway. But uh, we weren't that bad still. And then the next year was when it all went downhill. We got uh, Mark Neal and. Had two more shocking years, won two games and four games. And then we had uh, Ruzi for three. And it was still, we, by the last year of Ruzi, we got a little bit better. And that's when Goody took over. And that that would have been my eighth year was when we uh, we came you ninth. Made, yeah. Mm. And then we made finals in 2018 and made it through to the prelim. Yeah, that was, sorry, not, not funny for you, but we had some absolutely tragic demons. 
mates yeah. <laughs> who'd booked their uh, finals tickets. It wasn't didn't didn't the um, the notices go out earlier? You know, the first yes, time yeah. back in finals for ten years. And then no, 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 that was the year before because we had to win the last round to go through the finals. And they sent it out in round twenty two or round twenty three. Like, get your tickets for Melbourne's finals, and then we lost by point oh one of a percent because <laughs> oh, God, that's great. Adelaide rested all their stars before the finals, like Taylor Walker and Daniel Talia and all that, and then they lost to West Coast to a bottom of the ladder, and that knocked us out of finals. Because <laughs> there wouldn't have been that um. Rest game between the finals. Don't know. No, there would have been back then. There still was because it was the year before it got brought in. Yeah. But I think they couldn't change their position, couldn't change any of their ladder position. They're like, we're just not going to risk having our best five players get injured. And they lost to West Coast. And so they had the like tracker up at the bottom of the screen, like Melbourne in or out of the finals. Yeah. And so we were all just watching it. And then, yeah, got, but we lost the week before. So like that, that, that day. So we knew... We needed that result to go our way. But in hindsight, it was probably the best thing for us to have not... We didn't really deserve to play finals that yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. And it helped us the next year. Make you a bit hungrier. Yeah. So what was it like under Mark Neald? Was it a bit fiery or... <laughs> <laughs> I've kind of suppressed it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> he always had that one vein in his head that was just about to pop. I honestly can't remember much of it. I just remember it being like very regimented. We were trying to play exactly like Collingwood had for their grand final year, their year or two before he was an assistant at Collingwood and they but they played like a very certain way and they had Travis Cloak and Chris Dawes and Lee Brown like certain key fours and they had um, like the best midfield ever like Pendles, Daisy, Dane Swan and Josh Fraser would have been Ruck maybe don't know who it was but they had like an extraordinary team and you couldn't play that like the way they played just didn't suit us at all and um, it was very militant like everything was about we had an NFL style depth chart, so it wasn't about like who <laughs> plays well gets in the team. It's like you're all third on the depth chart, so you're not going in. There. <laughs> He's just playing Madden with a real life. Stra- it was really strange. <laughs> like there was just all these weird things we did. Like we'd run before trainings, and we'd have enormous running sessions. So we'd have six one k's before training would start, and you'd go and train. You'd be just absolutely cooked, and so you get no. We do no footy specific stuff really. We'd have a little bit of a kicking drill and maybe some handball games, which we would do with tennis balls. So we did handball games where you. Um, like 5v5 in a small box but it wouldn't be handballing it would be by throwing a tennis ball around which was like fatiguing because the ball would move so yeah, quick surely it's hard to get a young team to we buy just, in when I look stuff. at like the type of training we do now it's so specific to the way we want to play and the running is made to be what the running is in a game yeah. whereas back then it was like can we get good 800 metre runners <laughs> just flog yourself and then just look good on a time trial sheet but it didn't translate like that year. We had ten. Oh, we had thirteen blokes run under ten minutes on a three k, and a few blokes run under nine. Like I ran under nine thirty, and we were like, "We're the fittest team ever." Shannon Burns had just come from Geelong where they'd won the grand final, and he's like, "I've never seen a team this fit. Like we're gonna have a great season." We won two games and <laughs> had a percentage of fifty six. Like it was just not. We just didn't know how to play footy. We yeah. weren't taught how to play. Yeah. Who of all the coaches football. you've had has given you the biggest fire and brimstone speech? Um, spray mm. Probably the individual one Like So Jade Rawlings Was the backline coach For Melbourne For those years When I was there And still a good mate of mine But he could spray blokes Like And just wasn't afraid To tell them they're a coward Or they're, <laughs> you know, they're, they're Bitched out on this one Or whatever um, He would be one But I, I'm trying to think Rusey wouldn't spray you He would like Sarcastically take the piss out of you So he would just like Make you feel sp- like the tiniest man in the room. He's more manipulative. Yeah. More <laughs> high level. Yeah. yeah. So, no, nah, I can't even think of sprays. I can't think of anything in particular. But Jade was probably the hardest coach I'd had, but the best one as well. 
get any last questions, Crawls? No, I'm think I think we're pretty much well, done. We've we got to go back to the uh, meet for a second. You've got to give me where, like, what you're up to, what's the sort of next phase, what are you looking to cook next? Yeah, well, so for any of our listeners out there, I've recently bought a smoker, which I'm giving a red-hot crack. You're very, yeah, you're very new to the game. Yeah, so love the slow cooking. Similar to you, you know, went to the US, and I think going to Texas, especially Austin, Dallas, is where I got the inspiration for it. And brisket is, if you want to be a good barbecuer, you want to be good in the smoker, you've got to cook good brisket. But I think I might have, have you, a crack. Have you nailed a brisket yet? Like you've got it perfect? or I, you, I wouldn't say perfect, but Will, my housemate's listening, he reckons it's pretty good. Giving it an okay, yeah. I went the Texas style as well in terms of, you know, you can do different things with your rubs. It was just purely salt and pepper. Yeah. Very Texan, Central Texan style. And it was good. I mean, I, I was sitting out there for eight hours, like monitoring the temperature. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty labour intensive as opposed to your smoker, which you can just set and forget. Yeah. I think you, it's worth How it, many mate. do you have? I've got that that's pellet smoker, the Z yep. grills. Uh, I've got just a normal like gas barbecue. I built a setup in the backyard, so I've got like an inbuilt barbecue because I had a gas line all, already at the house. So this guy came and built like a setup with a sort of outdoor bench top and a bar fridge. And then I've got... This thing called a caveman grill, which I imported from Wisconsin of all places. <laughs> I found it online and it didn't work when it got here. And I'd spent like 400 bucks on it. And I was like, oh, it's a, a steak searer. So it's like the charbroilers they have in the States where the yeah. steak gets cooked from the top. And it didn't work. And so I kept emailing them and you know, cracked it. And I said, this thing's faulty. I'm going to send it back. And in the end, they just sent me a check from a bank in Wisconsin. that I <laughs> they, they re- And then I got a local tradie to come and fix my barbecue and fix the gas <laughs> no. thing. So I got what was the free. foreign exchange rate like then? <laughs> I probably got screwed over it, but in the end, I was like, it's cost me 50 bucks to fix this thing. I've got it for free. And then I've got, um, I had the old bullet style smoker, which is the like authentic, like light the charcoal pit down the bottom and smoke it up in like a drum sort of setup. I don't use that very much now. I've got the automatic thing. And then the fifth one is a Heston Blumenthal, like a charcoal charcoal grill where you can actually barbecue on the charcoal and then it has a rotisserie built into it. So, do you ever get them firing all at once? Nah, to be honest, I don't use any of them except for the <laughs> smoker and the normal barbecue. Well, I guess one thing we need to touch on, uh, I'm not sure if you're on TikTok, but uh, Christian Petrarca has blown up a bit yeah. um, from his cooking videos. <laughs> yeah. But can he smoke a brisket? That's no. what we need to know. Well, if you ever see one of the videos that it's got him like doing anything meat slow cooked, I get a text in the morning, Oi, what do I do for pulled pork? How <laughs> But he is, he's very good. Like, I like his stuff. I don't have TikTok and I see it like Ruby shows me. I was on TikTok for a little bit, but then I just, I waste so much time. Yeah, exactly. like, yeah, screen time yeah. through the roof. <laughs> too much. He's watching too many of your videos, mate. He just had to show I do like yours. Do you know Gussie Brayshaw's a big fan? His favourite favorite video, can you guess what it is? Oh, it's an early one. One of the early ones? Yeah. It's a long time ago. Is it a Yeah, is it one of the footy ones or is it like a farming one? No, no. Oscars is the farming. Uh, Gussie's favourite is the uh, day in the life of the Communist Manifesto. Oh, Oh, the inner inner city landing vlog. (laughs) (laughs) There's actually a funny story about that. So I put that video out and then it would have been like three or four days later, I was at work and I got a call from my grandma at like 
<laughs> Middle of the day on a Thursday, I'm like, shit, grandma's calling me on a Thursday. Like, something bad's <laughs> happened. Like, someone's had a fall or someone's ill. She's like, I'm just watching Sky News. I'm watching Rita Panay. <laughs> <laughs> and you're on here. And I'm like, sorry, what? <laughs> so she didn't ask you to put it up. She just put it on. Yeah, she, yeah, she's like your typical right wing no, grandma. No, she messages. Oh, oh, your grandma. Oh, yeah. I was like, Rita messages me on Instagram quite a bit and likes my stuff. So yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's but, good. But yeah, I, I would have had no idea that it was on Sky News either. And then just grandma's calling me yet sitting here <laughs> yeah, watching the news. So <laughs> I think we're due for an updated day in the life. Oh, I've, be very I've, happy. I've been planning one. I reckon there'll be one in the coming weeks. Yeah, you know, he's got a few in the bank that we just haven't had time to film because we've just been enjoying our holidays <laughs> a bit too much, so we haven't been around. But there's, oh, a, few, there's smoke, a few more coming. The Murdoch smoking ceremony got me. Begin <laughs> <laughs> my day with the Welcome to Country and smoking ceremony where I burned some Murdoch media. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good little Oh, bit. God. Well, I think on that note, thanks, thanks for coming. It's been a cracker session. Hopefully the listeners enjoy it. But... Um, We'll catch you next week. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you, boys. That was good fun. Thank you. Ciao.